another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can. Uh, friends, which is what I see each other, uh, I see my audience and myself as as friends that share our morning drive together. Uh, you may listen to me at your lunch hour at work. You may listen to me on your drive home. Uh, but for me, it's the morning commute 99% of the time. Uh, so that's why you may hear some sounds in the background. You may hear a cell phone go off in my car because if I leave it on vibrate, I will never know it went off and I might have to take an important call and pause the uh, recording. You might hear police sirens. You might hear giant trucks and you might think to yourself, man, it sounds like a dude's broadcasting from a car. That's because I'm broadcasting from a car. Uh, yesterday was my first show back, and uh, I think it went pretty well uh, for my first show back. But today is my first show back in the car, uh, and I took about uh, 10, 11 days off, and I went up to uh, to Arkansas to my little retreat up there. I posted some pictures on the forum as well. I'll put a link from this podcast at survivalpodcast.com to that forum post so you can see my little bug out area. And what it's like in the beautiful mountains that I uh, call my second home in Arkansas that I hope to make my primary and only home someday soon. Anyway, uh, yesterday we talked about making do with what you had and different things, and I told you a couple little stories about what went on up there. Well, another thing I spent a lot of time doing while I was in Arkansas over my vacation was browsing through seed catalogs and nursery catalogs, uh, planning my plantings for the spring. And one of the things I've tried to do some shows on, but I don't really feel that I've done enough justice to, is container plantings um, over over time. I, I've talked about different plants that you can plant and different options. I really haven't given you specific varieties that will perform well in containers. So as I went through the catalogs this time, I kept my eye open for what was either specifically recommended by the catalog or by the seed provider uh, for a container plantation, or what could I look at and say, you know what, that plant will work very well in a containers. And what I tried to do was come up with a very uh, a varied assortment of different things that you can grow in containers. Now, before I go into that, though, I do get questions at times like, Jack, why do you do so much on gardening? Uh, you know, you do stuff on the economy, you do stuff on guns, you do, but you do a lot on gardening. Probably at least once a week you do a gardening show. Sometimes you get on a roll and do two or three uh, in, a, in a given week in a row, or you do over 30 days, you might do you know six or seven gardening shows. Well, it's because my show is primarily about modern survivalism. And that means being as self-sufficient as you can if times get tough, or even if they don't. So if, if, if everybody that thinks we're crackpots in the survival community ends up, let's say, for the next 10 years being right, and you spend your next decade doing these things, making these preparations, being prepared, and 10 years from now, nothing majorly catastrophic has either happened to the nation, your state, your local area, or even yourself, that you still are better off. All right. The other side of it is we do prepare for the worst. We prepare for, you know, a global war. We prepare for, uh, you know, 
any of the, the, the economic breakdowns that are possible, and they're really possible. There's some things I talked about this fall. A lot of them came to fruition and happened. Things are still standing. I said I thought they would still be standing, but we've really weakened the structure. We're at a point now where we can either begin a recovery, stay on a down plateau for a while, or go down from here. And if we go down from here, that's going to be bad. So there, there's realistic threats. There's the flu pandemic threat that has not gone away. I'm going to talk about that in a later show this week. So all these threats are still out there. So you also need to be preparing for the, the, the reality that the reason we prep is things can do and have gone wrong. And history has shown us that entire civilizations have been wiped out due to arrogance and a lack of preparation. What does that have to do with gardening? Well, this is what it has to do with gardening, survivalism, self-sufficiency, and everything. You can only store so much food. There is a finite amount of food that you can store. All right. If you do not eat, sooner or later, you do die. All right. It is absolutely essential to the survival of any human being that they have an adequate supply of nutritional food. Without that, you're done. Once your stored food runs out, regardless of how much you can, I don't care if you're one of the really prepared people that has a full year in storage, you know. Hold on a second, folks. I got to check and ask. Anyway, uh, you know, even if you have a year of storage uh, laid up, it's just not sufficient uh, to last you past that year. So what do you do in month 13 if you're not producing some of your own food? From the what if nothing goes wrong side of things, if you are going to be a modern survivalist, which means living as free from debt as possible, creating as self-sufficient a lifestyle for yourself as possible, it's absolutely imperative that you don't remain 100% dependent on the systems. And I'm going to start using that term for now, on the systems, instead of the system. Because there's actually multiple systems that people are dependent on. And we're going to talk more about that as we go through January. What the different systems of dependency that have been created for society are, and how you can begin to wean yourself from them. The largest system out there is not government. Okay, It's not the military-industrial complex. It's not money. It's food. It is the most intrusive and most exclusive system on the planet that makes people dependent today. We are now getting our food from all four corners of the earth. You don't have any grapes growing in, in January, that's fine. We'll import some from Chile. Right? We don't have a really bumper grain crop in the depths of winter, that's fine. We'll import it from Australia. And I have no beef with Australia or Chile, but we're also importing food from many African nations that are being forced to grow these high volume grain crops like corn, rye, wheat, to pay off debt that we've enamored them with. And these systems do interplay and interlock. And the monetary system definitely goes into the agricultural system. The point being that the only way you can free yourself, at least partially, from this system is to procure your own food through either self-production or buying from local people who self-produce. And I believe that's a combined effect. And I believe if you try to grow enough food for yourself, it may be very, very difficult to provide even 50 to 60% for many people of the amount of uh, vegetable and fr- fruit that they need. But if you combine it with buying from local sources, you can probably do 100. You can probably find everything you want from a local source, or if you buy from a non-lo- 
local source? Do you buy from someone that's doing business in that type of manner? In other words, kind of, you know, like uh, like Mana Storehouse is uh, something we've talked about before, and they're in some trouble. But there's other organizations out there like that. Uh, hopefully the, the, the state and the federal government don't try to eliminate all of them. Uh, but there are ways to do that. So this is why I talk about this. Now, why container gardening? Container gardening is important for a variety of reasons. And it's something that's highly overlooked by people that don't think they need it and highly overlooked by people that it's their only option. Okay? What I mean by that is a lot of people that have a good piece of land and have plenty of places to plant things outside overlook container gardening and don't realize some of the advantages that it has for them. Now, if that's you, let me give you just a few of them. One, you can grow crops that are not specifically designed to grow in your region. All right, I'm going to talk about a few of those today, give you some specific recommendations. But what I mean by that is if you live, let's say, in Zone 7, uh, but it's warm eight months out of the year, and it's only those four months where it gets cold, and maybe it's two that are super cold, and uh, you have warm days in between, by using containers, you can bring those plants that would be harmed by freezing weather inside whenever it freezes, and when you have those four or five warm days in a row during like an Indian summer event, put them back outside. That's just one advantage. Another advantage is it takes time and effort to prep beds. You can only build up and maintain so many raised beds or in-the-ground beds at a time. If you start doing some container planting, you start to augment what you're growing. You free up bed space for things that really need to grow in a bed and take plants that could grow in a container out of the bed so that, that you, you maximize your space and you can you know prepare a pot by dumping soil into it. So it's a lot of advantages, and that's just a couple of them to the person that does have a space, that does have a land. Now, a person that has a great big balcony at an apartment and can't grow anything in the ground, it's your only option. So, you know, it's pretty easy to make that case, but I think a lot of people don't realize the variety that you can produce. And I've talked about some things in the past. I'm going to leave one out today. I'm just going to mention it very briefly in the beginning because it's such a perfect thing to grow in containers. And that's any type of green plant, especially the greens for baby greens, maybe lettuces, maybe spinach, maybe Swiss chard, any of those things you can grow in containers, they'll do very well. But let's get a little bit creative. What I plan to do here is I'm going to give you a couple things you probably have never thought of before, alright, and then I'm going to go through some basic summertime vegetables, and different varieties of those that will grow well in containers, and then I'm going to wrap up with a couple more you probably never thought of either, and that way I'll try to make this podcast pretty interesting. And I'll give you some sources for this stuff as I go on occasion, just because I'll remember, yeah, that's where I saw that one. I just have a list of this stuff. I don't really have any notes. I can't obviously read while I drive. So I just have a list of the plant varieties that I glance at uh, when I need to pick a new one up. Um, but the first one I'm going to give you the source. So I, I found this plant in two um, places. One was Gunny's Nursery, and the other one was Thompson Morgan. And as I looked at their two catalogs, I have to think these two companies must be connected. I think they're like the same company, or one's an offshoot of the other or something, because it's almost the identical offerings, uh, almost the same terminology and the same plantings. So I think they're related, but they both had a plant in there that I found very interesting. It was called Patio Blueberry. 
All right, patio would tell you it's a container plant. Blueberry, wait a minute, container-grown blueberries. It's a very small, compact blueberry bush, but it grows very large blueberries, not the little, like, wild huckleberry-sized ones uh, that we used to go pick when we were kids up in the mountain. Uh, We're talking about those big, almost grape-sized ones you see at the market uh, grow on this plant. What really intrigued me, because there's several varieties of blueberries, and if you live in a cooler climate, you can you know go through a few catalogs and find a few different ones, and uh, you can grow blueberries in anything from a small container, uh, you know maybe a five gallon container to like a big container, like uh, a half barrel is a great way to b- grow a fairly large blueberry bush. This one though you can keep very small, few gallons, and uh, get a pretty good yield off of it. What impressed me with it now, blueberries are not one of these plants that you do in containers because you need to be able to bring them in uh, during the winter. They're very cold-hardy plants in, in most of the United States. You're not going to have that problem. But many of them have a big problem with getting too hot. And this variety is not only very cold-hardy, it's also heat-hardy down to zone 8. So people like me in Dallas and uh, much of central Texas can grow this variety of blueberry. And of course if you have it in containers, it gives you some flexibility to move it around and give it a little bit of shade during the hottest part of the summer uh, and things like that. So it's a really cool idea to be able to grow a blueberry bush. Uh, blueberries are high in vitamin C, antioxidants, you name it. They're, they're really good for you. Uh, they also are very high in phytochemicals. Uh, they're a great colored fruit uh, that we should be getting as much of as we can. And it gives you some diversity and variety. Now, you're not going to be making you know uh, five blueberry pies off of one or two containers of these little blueberries. But they do a lot of cool things for you. They can be tossed into a fruit salad or even a vegetable salad. They can be used as a garnish on like an ice cream dish. I mean, there's, there's so many things that being able to go out and pick a handful of fresh blueberries, whatever you like, throughout the season. Uh, and they, they, they will fruit for about four to six weeks uh, if you uh, fertilize them well and do everything right. Uh, that's about as much as you'll get out of any blueberries. So it seems like a good variety to give it a try. It's small enough that the apartment uh, gardener will with a, ba- a balcony could uh, give these a try if they wanted to. Now here's another one I bet you probably haven't thought about growing in containers. It's an olive tree. And people think of olive trees as these great huge trees. And the beautiful thing about an olive tree, olive trees can live a thousand years. A thousand years. I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling to think that something that you plant could live that long. Most of the varieties have a hard time outside of Zone 9. A few of them will make it into Zone 8. I haven't found any. Now, there may be some, but I haven't found any that are hardy down into uh, Zone 7. So that kind of limits your area. But all of them can be grown uh, in containers. And they'll actually do quite well in containers. You put them outside in the sun, and you want to get, you want don't try to protect your olives from heat. Give them direct sunlight. Let them, they love it, they'll bask in it, they'll produce better because of it. And one of the particular olive varieties uh, that I found that's particularly good for growing containers is called Europe. And I believe I found that from Thompson and Morgan as well. So that's another good option. Now something to consider with your olives is they are a plant that if you buy a small one or start them from seed, you can practically bonsai them. I mean, you can keep them in a, in a you know, two or three gallon container and grow them maybe two feet high, uh, trim them, prune them, and make them into kind of a gnarly looking, very cool form of a bonsai plant. 
Or you could put them in a larger container and let them grow three or four feet uh, and keep them pruned into that. So based on the space you have available, the olive is actually very adaptable and a very cool thing to have around. Now, if you live in a very cool part of the country, um, you're going to be able to grow an olive tree, but then you're growing it for a novelty. If you don't have quite a bit of heat in your summers, you don't have to have it all year round, but in your summers you really have to have the heat lasting in September, at least the beginning of September. If you if you get your plant outside and into that direct heat during that period of time, you'll probably be able to ripen up some actual olives and produce some food for yourself. So uh, that was something I thought that was just kind of cool. Now let's move into something a little more conventional. Let's look at the uh, the the almighty tomato, and I call it the almighty tomato because it is the most popular vegetable for growing in America. More people grow tomatoes than any other two crops put together is what I read in one magazine this uh, this winter anyway. Um, so what kind of tomatoes can you grow in, in a container? Well, the answer is you can really grow any of them. But if you want to do yourself a favor, you'll want to grow what are called determinate varieties. Indeterminate varieties are the ones that vine. The ones that you end up tying and, you know, they'll go six, seven feet in the air. If you don't trim them, you might be able to grow them a lot higher. And they grow into these huge, you know, practically little tomato trees if you uh, continue to stake them and, 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 and bring them up higher. They produce longer over the season. Uh, but that's, you know, that's great if you have a great big area outside to grow them. When you look at growing things in pots and in uh, containers, you want things that are a little bit more manageable, easier to control. So you're looking for your determinate instead of indeterminate. You're looking for your determinate variety of tomatoes, and they'll grow to a specific height like most plants do. They'll kind of top out there. They'll get thick, stocky, and bushy, uh, and they may trail a little bit, but it's nothing like, uh, let's say, something like a, you know, a Cherokee purple or a black crim or a brandy wine. When you plant those outside, you can turn those things into eight-foot trees if you really want to make the effort, and you've got the long growing season, and they'll produce from the time the first one turns a little pink all the way until it freezes. Now, your determinants will produce over four weeks, six weeks, something like that, uh, but they'll grow these little stocky bushes. Now, you can increase the duration of your harvest by, let's say, plant three tomato plants, right? Well, plant six if you're starting them from seed. Some of these varieties you may need to start from seed. They may not be available at your local nursery, or some variety that you want may not be available at your local nursery. But if you're starting them from seed, and this, again, if you buy them from a nursery, it's hard to do this as well other than you can buy some larger plants and some smaller plants and stage them. But plant, let's say you wanted three. Well, plant two plants, because one may die, right? Give the other one away, stick it in the ground, see what comes of it, gorilla garden it somewhere in a park, do whatever you like with it, uh, toss it. But start two, wait about three weeks, start two more. Wait about three more weeks, start two more. And then what you'll be able to do is have you know, one out of each one of those successions growing, and if you wanted two each time, start three. Give yourself some extra seeds is what I'm saying. And that will give you, you know, overlapping production all the way through your gardening season with your tomatoes. And as long as tomatoes get a lot of sun, a lot of light, including if you use grow lights or a greenhouse, you can get tomatoes to produce any time of the year as long as you keep them warm enough. Tomatoes are not frost tolerant at all. If they dip in to the freezing range, even the frost range, they die. They need heat. So that's something you have to make allowances for. So what are some good varieties to do this? Some good determinate tomatoes. 
Well, two of them that are probably the best, if you like cherry tomatoes, and I don't know who doesn't, um, are Tumblr and Patio Princess. Those two varieties, and if you uh, go to your local nursery, there's a good chance you'll find one or the other of those if you don't start your own seeds. So they're a really good option. Two other uh, cherry varieties, I guess you'd call them, uh, grape tomato varieties, small tomatoes. One's called Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim uh, was specifically bred for the hanging basket gardener. So if you want to do your tomatoes from like, you know, a one-gallon hanging pot and let them trail over the side a little bit, Tiny Tim is good for doing that. Um, And then there's another one that I really like. I've grown this one myself. It's called Yellow Cranberry Hybrid. It's a hybrid tomato, self-fertile. You don't have to worry about any cross-pollination or anything. Obviously, it's not good for seed saving, but you get a lot of seeds for a little bit of money and produce for quite a few years off of one purchase. Uh, great little tomato, beautiful yellow, uh, yellow-orange yellow color to it, adds some variety to the garden. So those are all grape varieties or, or cherry varieties. They'll also do well if you want to increase your productivity. Look at a hanging basket, cut a hole in the bottom, put the tomato plant in upside down through the bottom, fill the plant, and then plant maybe some basil or other herbs on the top side of the basket and get additional productivity out of a single container. So that's a good idea. But what if you want to grow some big tomatoes? You want to grow some slight, you don't want something that's going to cover a hamburger. Well, the best large tomato, and you do need a large container, I'd say you need like a five gallon container. Uh, in that range to do this plant justice and let it let it give you its its full production capability, but it's called uh, Bush Goliath. If you want big tomatoes, especially during the summer, outside on a patio or on a deck or something like that, it is absolutely difficult to do better than Bush Goliath for a container-grown tomato. So those are some tomato uh, varieties, and hopefully that gives you some ideas. Now let's talk about peppers. Now I'm not really going to talk about a lot of the hot peppers today. If you want to grow chili peppers, most chili peppers are smaller peppers. They grow on smaller plants, so they'll do well in a container. And that's the thing with peppers. The only thing you really need to look at is how big is the plant going to be, and then how big of a container do I need to make sure that this pepper gets enough room to grow. And where do I need to place it so it has enough space to grow with its height? Because if you look at growing something like, oh, I don't let's say an Anaheim or a Hatch New Mexican pepper, the, the big long green ones uh, that they, you know, turn when they turn red, they dry them and grind them into chili powder. Great pepper, I grow them in my garden, but the plants get really big. Uh, I had some of mine this year. I took a picture of the remnants of them with with ice on them yesterday, and uh, maybe I'll publish that picture. Uh, but they grew almost up to my chest and I'm a six foot tall guy so I mean that's a pretty big plant to be growing in a container for peppers most of the other chili peppers though don't get that big most of the jalapenos you can grow but I'm going to talk about either sweet peppers today or what I call false hot peppers peppers that are spicy but uh, you know maybe different hybrids and different options to grow things that normal people that don't want to scald their mouth can eat now I like a good jalapeno uh, but they produce so much that it's good to grow some other things that maybe other family members can consume. So one of the first is called false alarm jalapeno. 
And I've seen this, and most of the big seed houses carry this variety, park seed burpees, people like that. I haven't seen it in the, any of the heirloom catalogs or anything like that, uh, just because it's, it's, a, it's a hybrid, obviously. It was developed down at the University of Austin, I believe, or UT in Austin. Some Texas school developed this, this uh, jalapeno to allow people that like the flavor of jalapenos but can't stand the heat uh, a little bit more uh, uh, option. And it worked out pretty well. I've had them. I would not call them false alarm, though, folks. If you have a person that thinks that things get spicy because you put black pepper on it, this may still be a little bit hot for them, but they are way tuned down from your typical jalapeno. I would say they're in the 500 Scoville heat units, if you know anything about chili peppers, uh, but they are still hot, and occasionally you'll get one that's really hot. If you cook them, the cook the heat the, the heat cooks out of these, though, very, very well. My favorite way to make jalapenos, folks, you take some cheese, you slit your jalapenos in half and de-seed and de-vein them. You put some cheese in them, you put a strip of bacon on them or wrap it around them, depending on whether you're feeling lazy or not. You throw them on a, uh, uh, like a cookie sheet. I have this little thing that's like a cookie sheet with holes in it. Put them on that. Throw them on the grill and grill them till the bacon's crisp. Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, if you don't want to cook them that long, throw your bacon in the microwave uh, for, I don't know if you're throwing... Uh eight slices of bacon that you're prepping. Put it in there for a minute, maybe two, uh, and it'll half cook your bacon, and that'll make it crisp faster on the grill, and you'll have less grease dripping now. But, man, I love those things. I can't wait for summer to come back. False alarm jalapeno, though, only grows to about 8 18 inches. Very heavy yielder, so one or two plants will produce you a lot of peppers once they get going. Uh, be careful with your fertilizing of peppers. you got to balance pepper fertilization, right? They need enough to grow well. If you start to see your leaves get faded looking, looking yellowish, that means they're not getting enough nitrogen, but if you give them too much nitrogen, they will explode with growth, and the te- a lot of times they'll dr- actually drop uh, their pepper production and uh, kind of ruin that that for you, so you got to be careful you don't over-fertilize your peppers. Uh, next thing, uh, good pepper to grow in containers, Gypsy Hybrid. Gypsy Hybrid uh, will turn yellow, orange, red, green. They grow all different colors. Uh, they're about two inches long. They are sweet as candy. Uh, best place I know to get a hold of seeds for them is Burpee. They are a hybrid, so they're not a good seed to save. But they are a wonderful container crop, and they're a plant that you know your kids can pick peppers right off the plant and eat them. Uh, they're sweet. They're not hot at all. They're great for frying. They're good for putting, you know, cut just cut in half and throwing in the salads. They look great. Uh, you can actually do the bacon wrap thing with them for people that don't like jalapenos or heat at all. Uh, great little pepper. Here's another one. It's called Aje Dulce, or Aje Dulce, I think. It's a Spanish variety. I call them a fall tabanero. There's an Aje uh, Dulce and an Aje Dulce 2. The Aje Dulce it has almost no heat, but it has a little spicy undertone. It's kind of weird. I'm going to grow some of these this year. They kind of look like a mashed, flattened habanero, uh, but they are an heirloom variety or a, uh, an open pollinated variety seed anyway. They're not a hybrid. Uh, so you can save seeds from these and regrow them. Uh, they grow very small.
small, uh, about half the size of your typical habanero, uh, but they have a wonderful habanero-like flavor without all the heat, and again, since they're not a hybrid, they're good for reproduction. The, the uh, I hate to say, two variety actually has a little bit of heat, so you can grow either one of those, and the, the, the two variety also is a little bit larger, so it's up to you what kind of heat level you want, but they're great little peppers to grow. Uh, the only place I know of to get them right now is called Solana Seeds, uh, and I'll put a link to their website from the notes at the survivalpodcast.com for this broadcast. Uh, great pepper. All the little mini bell peppers, and they're available in heirloom varieties, hybrid varieties, but all your mini bells will do well. Uh, there's a pepper that I think will do well. I haven't grown it yet. I'm going to be growing them this year, and I'll grow some in containers to see how they do, but it's called Zavery. And uh, Zavery is a burpee exclusive, but I found it in another catalog, so who knows. Uh, and I found it in the, the Cook's Garden. They're probably sourcing them from Burpee. Zavery is a, uh, a hybrid habanero pepper with about 100 Scoville units, which means it has almost no heat. It looks like a habanero. If you, don't, if you know what a habanero is and you're not crazy and somebody handed you one of these things, you would never just pop it in your mouth and eat it, uh, but yet you could. So it's got all that habanero flavor, hybrid growth figure, plants grow to about 18 inches. It should do well. And then there's a plant I found uh, called Mohawk. Uh, I don't remember where I found that. I'll try to find the, uh, the, the source and uh, give you a link to it from the notes. may take till tomorrow I get back home. I'll be able to look that up where I found that. But Mohawk was this little cool-looking little orange pepper, but very thick-walled for a small pepper. So it has a lot of that good pepper crunch. Very, very sweet with dark black seeds inside it. And it would grow from an orange almost to a red if you let it stick around long enough. And it was developed for container growing. Uh, so Mohawk peppers. And any of these varieties, if you if you, if you you Google them, you're probably going to find sources of them. Whether the source I found them in or not doesn't really matter. I just want you to know what's available out there for you. And uh, everything I just told you was wrong, by the way. Uh, that mohawk is an orange sweet pepper. Uh, but the thick walls, black seeds, I'm sorry, I, you know, it's something that you screw up once in a while. Mohawk is basically a small orange bell pepper. The pepper I was just thinking of is called red ricotta. And that was bred specifically for container growing. It's available from Seed Savers Exchange, which of course means it's an open pollinated variety. Uh, so it's good for seed saving. It has a nice thick wall there. They are red with black seeds. Uh, I think these are uh, probably one of the best container-grown little plants that you can grow that you can also save seeds from. So that's red ricotta. Mohawk is just a small uh, orange bell pepper. Uh, so, sorry about the mistake, folks, the hazards of mobile podcasting. The next thing I want to talk about is something you probably have really not thought about growing in a container. Because when you think of this plant, you think of huge plants and huge yields, and that is the summer squash known as zucchini. There are actually two varieties that, are, that I found that will do very well in containers. One is a very small uh, bush type of uh, plant, and it's called midnight. And you can grow midnight in a two or three gallon container container, one seed, it's self-pollinating uh, hybrid, so you don't need to worry about planting two plants to get any cross-pollinization or anything like that, and it'll produce nice little mini zucchinis for you uh, that you can use, and, and, and honestly folks, I've gotten so many zucchinis when I've planted zucchinis in the garden I may do these this year just to keep my yields down, because I get more zucchini that I can use 
The other one, which seems kind of cool to me, because I just like things that cr- climb, it's called Black Forest. Black Forest actually kind of climbs more like a winter squash, but it stays small in habitat. It'll produce all summer long for you, as long as it stays nice and warm, and you keep it watered and fertilized. And you just put a, basically a stake in your container and trail it up the stake two feet is about how high it needs to be uh, trained up. So if you have the space to do that, it's another good uh, option. So that's Black Forest, uh, that's your climbing zucchini, and Midnight that's your small bush zucchini. So that gives you yet more variety. So now we're talking about a patio garden that can grow you blueberries, olives, tomatoes, peppers, uh, and zucchini. Not done yet, though. How about beans? Now, beans are another large plant. You can grow a few ones, but you know, were there anything out there that was specifically uh, made to be planted in containers? Well, I found a runner bean. Now, runner beans were the last thing I expected to be a good variety to plant in containers, because runner beans are these things that they grow in England and up north, uh, the you know twelve foot vines, masses, masses of uh, of beans that can either be used as uh, you know snap beans or shell beans. Well, I found one called a dwarf runner bean called Hesta, H-E-S-T-A, I guess is how you pronounce it, and it is designed to grow in containers, produces great little beans, beautiful multicolored flowers, so it's a nice ornamental, it'll look good as it's blooming as well, so uh, there's a runner bean you can grow. So now we got beans in the mix. What about some peas? Um, there are some short peas that grow maybe you know one or two feet, they don't need any support, I guess you could throw a few of those in containers, but I found an heirloom variety pea that is a dwarf that was bred for containers in the 1800s and it's available from a variety of sources you can just look it up online it's called Tom Thumb like the grocery store Tom Thumb but it predates Tom Thumb by you know the grocery store by about 100 years little pea uh, great little snap peas uh, so it's a wonderful little plant and uh, you can even eat the blossoms off of the Tom Thumb pea so now we have the ability here with just a little bit of creativity and research to have a container garden that's growing for us peas, beans, zucchinis, peppers, tomatoes, olives, and blueberries. That's pretty daggone cool when you think about it. And it kind of starts to open up your your mind to what's possible and what's available and what really can be done. And uh, that's kind of my goal here with this show is to open up your mind and make you think and get you to come up with ideas of your own and concepts of your own and to take one little thing that I tell you and add two or three other things to it and become you know come up with a completely new idea. So with that in mind, I thought I'd throw a couple more things that people really don't think about growing uh, in containers, but maybe they should. One is citrus trees, and I know some people do this, but a lot of people just don't think it will work for them. If you have a good warm place to move them on those freezing cold days, and most citrus is actually hardy down into the mid-30s. So you only have to bring them in on nights when it's actually going to really heavily frost or actually freeze. But there are three varieties that I think actually make really good sense. Uh, if you're further north, limes and lemons will be better for you. Since they're highly acidic, they don't need as much heat as an orange or a grapefruit does uh, to ripen. Uh, the best lemon variety I know to grow in containers is the Meyer lemon. And as far as limes, your key limes will do pretty well. 
If you live in Texas or California, you're probably going to have to, in several other states, Florida as well, if you want citrus, you're going to have to go to a nursery and find these. Most of the catalogs I've seen won't ship to those states, and I think there might be one other that they don't ship to. Uh, so that's an issue for you. But key limes, Meyer lemons, uh, your loquats, kumquats, those can usually be grown in something small enough to fit on a table. And then for oranges, there's an orange called Venus, or Venus, I'm not really sure how you pronounce it, because it's, it's, I would say Venus, but it's not spelled like Venus the planet. V-E-N-O-U-S. And that looks pretty promising, and I'm thinking about planting... Uh, each one of those this uh, spring, growing them through the summer, bringing them into the house or into a solarium uh, during the winter and seeing how those will work out for myself. But that would be yet another little variety. Now, the limes in particular are and, and lemons are great for cooking and great for making the occasional hard cocktail like uh, a lime margarita. So that's, uh, that's a little bit of my motivation there. Uh, and just to see if I can do it and just to see if I can make it work. Then the other... Another plant that is actually really suited to containers, and this is another one that you can grow just about any variety of in a container and prune it and keep it down to size, is fig tree. We talked about them a little bit before I went on vacation, uh, but figs can definitely be container grown, brought inside during the coldest parts of the uh, year. Some of you in the more northern climates, you simply cannot grow them outside. Uh, Not only will they die back, but if it gets cold enough, you kill the roots and you're kind of done from that point. Uh, so, you know, figs grown in containers, another great little option, another little spice of variety. But I actually did learn there are some dwarf figs that are specifically designed to be maintained at four feet, uh, maybe five feet at the, at the highest. Uh, it makes them more manageable as a container plant. Uh, so that kind of, you know, I hope that gives you some perspective on just how much you can do in containers. It's really pretty cool. And again, for the gardener that has the land, it's less prep time. It's more efficient use of the land that you've prepped. Uh, it gives you uh, greater flexibility in what you can grow outside of your area. And for people that are in rental properties or apartments or condos, it may be the only option that you have. And it may be something you team up with other people that live in your community with to expand and make a bigger garden. Now, I want to end today's show by recommending some catalogs to you uh, that you can get for free. I'll try to put uh, links to these as well uh, on the site. Uh, the show notes from today. But these are catalogs. I, I say you almost must order these just to see what's out there and really get a, a, an idea of what's available. One is the catalog from Seed Savers Exchange. Uh, you'll see varieties of plants that, that have almost gone extinct and been rescued by dedicated gardeners who have saved them. And, and you'll see colors of vegetables you never knew existed in, in Seed Savers Exchange. It's a beautifully done catalog, available for free. All you have to do is fill out a form on their website. The next one is an is a organization called called Seeds of Change, and uh, they're all open-pollinated, heirloom variety, that type of thing. Everything in their uh, catalog can be saved and recycled, and even though they sell you seeds, they encourage you to save them and share them with other people as well. And you'll see, again, varieties that that were nearly extinct and just beautiful options. The the winter squash section alone is is pretty impressive, as is the melon section and the tomato section. The next one is called Baker Creek, which is at rareseeds.com. Baker Creek's catalog is, uh, honestly, you could put it on your uh, your uh, coffee table as a coffee table book for guests just to look at. It's that marvelous in uh, the photography and the varieties. And again, most of them are open-pollinated varieties.
varieties that can be saved. So those three catalogs alone, I think you could spend a lifetime just growing the crops that are in them this year alone. And they change and expand. And, you know, Seed Savers Exchange in particular, no catalog looks the same year to year because they have 25,000 varieties of rare seeds that they're constantly rotating through their catalog so that people can get access to the different seeds in their storehouse. So those three you really need to order, in my opinion. The next one I think that would make sense, I've mentioned several times today, is Henry Fields. Uh, Henry Fields is a pretty much standard variety of uh, of vegetables, uh, a lot like burpees or parks. Uh, some more heirlooms, I guess, but pretty much it's the same. It's not a big deal uh, in itself for the vegetables. But they have a lot of varieties of things like uh, bush cherries and different types of fruits and things that you can grow uh, that give you some different options. So I think it's really a good catalog to leave through. Gunny's uh, Nursery is uh, another one, but like I said, I think those two are related. Either catalog would basically do you uh, pretty well, but right now, I want to let you know they're doing, and they're not a sponsor, I just found this, and I'm going to order from both catalogs. I don't care if they're the same company because they did two different offers. Order $25 worth of stuff by, I think it's February 11th from one and the 20th from the other, and they'll send you a second $25 worth of stuff out of their catalog for free. So you get $50 for 25 You do that twice, you get $100 worth of seeds and plants and trees, shrubs, bushes, supplies, what have you, for 50 bucks by ordering from these two catalogs. So that's Gunny's Nursery and Henry Fields. And then the last one, uh, if you want to find some things that you just will not find anywhere else, Rain Tree Nursery. Uh, it's just an amazing source of uh, bushes and trees in particular, rare fruits, things like goji berries and uh, blue honeysuckle and uh, varieties of gooseberries and currants and uh, kiwi fruits and, and just uh, it's chestnuts and almonds, you name it. Uh, so those five catalogs, maybe six if you want to do the, the uh, 25 bucks twice from Gunny's and uh, Henry Fields, really think you should order them, request them. You'll enjoy looking through them. They'll give you some great ideas. And I hope today's podcast has been informational and educational. Tomorrow we're going to leave gardening for a while and talk about something a bit different. Uh, I haven't decided exactly what show I'm going to do tomorrow, but it's good to be back in the seat, back on the road, and podcasting once again. This has been Jack Spierko, uh, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream, and you can holler. Doesn't matter cause it all gets spent